Thank you, praise team. The Lord is good to us, isn't he? Amen. Uh, I want to thank you for being here. Thank you for those that are online. Last few weeks, we have talked about uh, freedom of speech, freedom from want, freedom uh, from fear. And today I want to talk to you a little bit about freedom of worship. Now, sometimes we get freedom of worship when we talk about worship, sometimes we think about songs. If they're slower songs, that's worship. And if they're, if they're faster songs, that's praise. Praise and worship. Uh, but worship, you can worship in song. But wor- that's only an avenue, an outlet of your worship. True worship, according to Scripture, is complete, total surrender to the Lord. Not just on Sunday morning, but in everyday life. Everything we say, everything we do, everything we talk about, every situation in our life, it's about complete surrender and acknowledging Him as sovereign and acknowledging His ways as sovereign. When something happens to you and you don't want to turn the other cheek, but you do anyway, that's worship. Are you with me? I've thought about this a lot, and I have asked a godly man, a man that was in ministry his entire life. Do you realize that perennially... uh, Every year, every single year, in the top five most stressful jobs that you can have, pastor is right there in the top five. Every single year. You know how many people that start off in ministry finish in ministry? Less than 10%. And I can tell you that 10% has thought about quitting. I want to allow you to, to eavesdrop on, on a conversation. I want to have a, a conversation with Pastor Burt Wilkins. Yeah. So, Pastor Burt, would you please come? And I am going to give you... Well, I think I'm... Is this green-white working? If it's not, we're getting another one. We're going for the white mic. Yes, sir. Now, you said we could sit in the same chair if we wanted, but I'm going to give you the choice of chairs, and I'm taking the other one. I don't know. I'm choosing. Well, you, I tell you what. Why don't you, you want to you sit right here, and I'll, I'll sit over here. So I want, I want to first thank you. I have known you for about seven years now. And I've always seen and watched you. And you have one of the greatest spirits of anybody I know. And I'm kind of like a stray dog. Uh, I, I kind of adopted you as my pastor. And you didn't ask for it, but you're stuck with it. 
So, uh, how long were you in ministry? 50 years. Can you turn that mic up, please? Green? All right. Sorry about that. There you go, sir. Thank you. Green means go. 50 years. 50 years. And so you started in ministry, you finished in ministry. And I just want to ask you, that, that's, you had some great times in there, I'm sure. Amen. And you probably had some challenging times. I just want to talk to you a little bit about uh, what impacted you. And, and I know that you told me the other day that you are a third-generation Alliance. You've been in the Alliance Church your entire life. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, which which grandparent was it on your mom's side, your dad's side? Before I answer, I want to say thank you to you for inviting me to this conversation today. Uh, we uh, we pray for you and your family regularly, and uh, thank God for bringing you here to be our pastor. Thank you so much, and thank you for today. <clears throat> yes, my. Um, my grandparents on my mother's side okay. were the first of the family to become Christian and Missionary Alliance. Okay. And then my parents, and then us. So how did your, did your grandparents <clears throat> impact you in any way, influence your Christian life? Oh, definitely. Um, my grandmother was a prayer warrior. Okay. And... Um, I remember as a little child sitting on the couch at her house when her telephone would ring. And this is, this is back in the 40s, 1940s. <laughs> and, uh, and the telephone would ring and she would listen for a while and then say, well, let's pray right now. And so she would pray and I would listen to her pray. And when she hung up, I would wait for her to say something. And, and she would explain that the call was from an Alliance missionary in Africa who was going through some terrible struggle at the moment. And there were two or three people in the States that they depended on to pray for them. And my grandmother was one of them. Wow. I remember listening to her pray in her closet. I'd just sit there in the living room and she'd be in the closed door closet praying. So yes, influence was uh, important. Well, oh, that's powerful. <clears throat> I, I'm sure listening to her pray influenced the way you pray. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Now, what about your, your parents? Now, you're, you told me a little bit about your dad. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about him and the impact he had on you? Sure, my father, became a Christian after meeting and dating my mother. Uh, so he, he had very little spiritual influence until about 20, 21 years old. <clears throat> and um, so he came, he came to know Christ through her influence and the influence of the grandparents. And mom had talked him into coming to church, and so it would be the influence of the church people as well. 
And so he found the Lord around the time of their marriage. Okay. Dad only completed the eighth grade uh, and had to work to help support the family. But he became a student of the Word. The, the Bible became everything to him, and it became noticed after a few years that he was conscious of the content of the Bible. Okay. So did and he so go to seminary or anything like no that? No seminary, no training whatsoever, just his own reading of the Word. And okay. So the pastor asked if he would teach a Sunday school class. And he was teacher of the adult Sunday school class for many years. I was mentioning to you there was a, a pastor from California. His name was Gene Beezer. He was a, an alliance pastor in California. Came to me at council one year, and he said, uh, I need to tell you that your father was the best Bible teacher I ever had. And he was a college and seminary graduate. And I said, well, tell me about it. And he said, well, I went to Houghton College, and every Sunday morning I insisted on coming to Wellsville, to your home church, just to be part of your father's Sunday school class. And that, that was quite a boost for me. Yeah. And uh, I, I appreciated that. And my dad had a lot of stories. The, the one I remember the most is he passed away at age 52. Uh, and he was in the hospital near the time of his passing in a, a hospital in uh, Olean, New York. And I was visiting him. When I walked down the hall and entered his room, I saw that there were, this was uh, St. James Hospital, there were seven or eight or nine uh, Catholic sisters wrapped around his bed while he was teaching them the word and found that they asked for that and that they met with him every morning for Bible study. and. Uh, he was, he was the first to make it clear to me that it's possible for anyone of any spiritual slant to know Christ as their personal Savior. And he had led all of them to Jesus. So his influence as well, of course, was Absolutely. mighty. Now, now, you grew up, where did you grow up? So I want to go back to that point in just a moment. Wellsville, New York, a little town on the southern tier uh, of New York State, about halfway between Binghamton and Jamestown, if anybody knows that part of the world, okay. right on the Pennsylvania border. Okay, okay, and you grew up there, and then, uh, now did, you were raised there, and then you ended up going to Nyack. To Nyack, Okay, yes. now, <clears throat> when did you receive your, a call to ministry? Can you talk, tell us a little bit about going to Nyack, how that call happened? I, I began sensing the Lord's leading in my life. And when thoughts about being a pastor came to my mind, I quickly erased them. I, I didn't have any interest in that. One of the reasons was that I was scared to death to stand in front of people. Even in school, when you had to give a book report or something, I would, I would be sick that day. 
And, and I would gladly take an F for that day rather than standing in front of people and talking. I, I just couldn't do that. And, and so the, the thought would come to mind once in a while about being a pastor, but I, I quickly dismissed it. That, that, I'm not created that way, God. You know that, and I know that, and so forget that. I want to be a carpenter or something like that. So we're, is your middle name Moses? <laughs> I'm not a prophet. Neither, <laughs> neither am I the son of a prophet. Uh, so my mother had attended Nyack College, and, and so she prompted me to enroll there. I had a couple of other opportunities at Taylor University and Houghton College, but eventually, because of mom's influence, went to Nyack. Yeah, but you, you had a couple of offers there at, at, at those two universities, didn't you? For basketball. Scholarships. Yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. And you turned them down to go to Nyack. To go to Nyack, yes. And, uh, but I enrolled in the Christian education course because I wanted to stay away from theology as much as possible. <laughs> and, and after about one year began to sense that God was calling to ministry. And so I transferred or changed to theology and continued in theology. And then at that time, Nyack had another one-year additional course after Bachelor of Science in Theology, a course they called Bachelor of Theology, and I stayed for one more year for that. Okay, now you told me that you met your good wife there. I met my wife there. Can you, can you tell us about that? We had chapel every morning, and uh, the president of the college said one morning during chapel, if any of you feel led to become a pastor, I would encourage you to go down to Baraka Hall, which was the music department of the college, and find a piano player because your first church won't have one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how serious he was about that, but I was. Yeah. And, and so I went there and found an organ player. My wife was <clears throat> chapel organist at Nyack for several years and uh, has been the strength and encouragement of our ministry the whole time. And she's been a good help to you. Absolutely. So you, you have a, a record there at Nyack, don't you? Basketball? Um, yes. Yeah, the only reason that it still stands, uh, I scored 48 points in one basketball game, and the only reason that record still stands is because there's no more Nyack College. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but I look at it like it will never be broken. It can't be broken, no. That's a, all right, so you left Nyack, and did you, you were heading to your first pastorate from there, right? Yes. And that's about the same time, 62, you said, when your, pastor, your dad was passing away. Yes. And so you went to see him, and he gave you some advice. Yes, knowing that I was going to be or maybe had just become a pastor, the last thing he said to me was, Bert, remember, any fool can split a church. 
I didn't know what he meant by that, but it stuck with me. <laughs> and I've tried not to be a fool too often. <laughs> so, well, tell us about your, your first pastor. It was in, uh, outside of Butler, Pennsylvania, a little church called Great Belt. The reason it was called Great Belt was the railroad tracks in that particular part of the county were a big circle. They were coming like from Altoona, Pennsylvania to probably Cleveland, Ohio, I don't know, but, but in that particular section it was a big arc in the railroad tracks and so they called that Great Belt and, okay. and the church was a former railroad station. <clears throat> the uh, waiting room was our sanctuary and the three rooms that we lived in on the side were the baggage rooms and the office. So it was a converted railroad station. It made it mandatory for me to learn how to stop preaching at the right time because the train came through every Sunday morning at noon. So the benediction had to be ended or not heard <laughs> while the train went by. I like that. Uh, did they have a piano player? They did, my wife. My <laughs> wife. Yes. Uh, well, there you go. So how long, how long were you there? We were at Great Belt for three and a half years, I believe. Okay. Uh, and then the Lord moved you to? We, uh, we received a call to candidate at a church in northern Pennsylvania and when the district superintendent called me, he said, I have this request from this church, but I would like you to say no, because I have another assignment for you. And uh, the assignment was to go to a church that was affiliated with the Christian Missionary Alliance and to see if we could prompt them to become fully Christian Missionary Alliance. And uh, so we did that. Okay. And after a, a year or so, they became an Alliance Church. And the same church that had called for us to visit as a candidate earlier called again. And this time we went there uh, and served in a, the Alliance Church in Countersport, Pennsylvania. Okay. And uh, you told me you saw growth in, in all of these churches. and then There was numerical growth, yes, in every one. All right, and then you, then you, the longest tenure that you had was in the next church, right? The next church was in Canton, Ohio, okay. and we were there 17, a little, little, few months less than 17 years. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. That's a long time. So you raised your family there, and mm -hmm. so, so after that you came here. At yes. First Alliance. Okay, yes. so tell us about that. How did that transition happen? Well, after 17 years, it, it, it would be obvious to anyone that we really liked being there in Canton, Ohio. It was a wonderful church. But uh, the district superintendent here, his name was Hap Arnold, called my district superintendent in Ohio and asked for the names of some men that might be willing to candidate in other churches. And I was among that group that he received. And uh, Hap called and asked if I would candidate at one of the churches here in Florida. 
Um, Don Allen, is that the name of it? It was something, yeah, okay, th thanks. Uh, yeah. And, and so we made preparations for that and Hap called back and said, forget it, I don't want that. Uh, I, need, I need you to have a conversation, an interview with the people at First Alliance. And so we, we <clears throat> came here and had an interview. Okay. What an interview. It was wow. in the chapel, uh -huh. and the chapel was full. I thought it'd be a board. Right. I mean, the chapel was full, and he opened it for anyone to ask any questions at all. And uh, it was quite an experience. But, <laughs> I imagine that one was. But, but a after that, they, they asked if we would come and candidate. Okay. Now, uh, a couple of your favorite pastors had been here, right? <clears throat> yes. Um, long before I had any thought of coming to Florida, Pastor Epperson and Pastor Battles had been guest speakers at our summer camp in Mahaffey, Pennsylvania. And uh, I, I had deeply fallen in love with God's gift to them. The, their ability to preach the word was amazing to me, and I couldn't wait. In fact, there was one period of time, seven or eight years, when Pastor Epperson would be there one summer, and Dr. Tozer would be there the other summer. And uh, I love Dr. Tozer as well. In fact, he was invited when he preached at Mahaffey to preach all day if he wanted to. He, we didn't have to quit. And, and people loved his preaching. Uh, but I loved Dr. Epperson's preaching as well, as well as Dr. Battles. And, and so when I was invited to interview here, it was, it was overwhelming to me. I, I thought that would be a total impossibility for me to follow those two men. In fact, Dr. Battles was still attending here when we came here, and uh, I, I just had to go to him several times and say, please overlook any errors that I'm making, <laughs> because I admire you so much. Now, was it, you had told me a story once that when you were pastoring here, you had like 17 different retired <coughs> pastors and missionaries? There were 17 retired Alliance official workers. Okay. All at the same time. And uh, all of them were tempted to analyze what the pastor was doing and saying. And they were all very gracious, but once in a while I would get uh, a request for an appointment so that I could be corrected. And, and th that, was, that was fine. Dr. Rofe, a missionary to Laos, uh, came into my office every Monday morning with a correction. And, and I really admired that. I, I appreciated that. We got to be very close friends. Uh, but one day during, I, I had uh, regular breakfast with those 17 just to get to know them and have them get to know me. And Grady Mangum had been with us about a year after his retirement as a missionary or as an official worker. And, and he asked one day if he could say something, and we agreed, and, and he said, there are 17 of us against one. <laughs> and so I want us all to make a commitment right now that 
we will pray for this pastor every day and that we will never criticize him. <laughs> they all agreed. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was great to have them here. Well, you developed a friendship that lasts a lifetime. Yeah. So you left here, and then you ended your ministry in Ohio? No, North Waverly Chapel in Waverly, New York. New York, okay. Not far from my home. Okay. About an hour from my home. Okay. And then once you retired, you came back down right. here because this is where God lives. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So. Uh, and Pastor Jesse. <laughs> okay. All right, so I, I want to ask you... Uh, some deeper questions. So you walked with the Lord for 50 years in ministry. You had some good times. Mm -hmm. You had some hard times. Mm -hmm. Tell us, <clears throat> what is the secret, what is your secret to keeping a spirit of worship that's completely open to the Lord. Well, a, a regular personal relationship with God is essential. That would be clear. Uh, but also an absolute assurance of the call. That would be essential as well. Uh, if, if you know for sure that you know God and are responding to his prompting, everything is fine. Everything is fine. So the call is essential, and, and, and it's important to understand that it's real. Are you talking about the call to ministry or the call to a particular place or both? Uh, the call to ministry, I, I think the call to a particular place may also include a, a liberty that the Holy Spirit gives at that point in life okay. to make that move. Okay. So that is a prompting as, as well? Yes. Okay. How did you discern what the Lord was speaking to you in, in, in those decision-making times? Probably, uh, um, just pragmatically, the idea that you can't get away from the overwhelming feeling of God's prompting. Can't avoid it. Can't evade it. You just you're overwhelmed by it. Kind of like David. If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, you had mentioned a, a scripture you wanted to give uh, when we were talking <coughs> earlier in the in the uh, entrance way. Yeah, we were uh, we were talking about the call. There, there was a young man who came asked me for a few minutes one day a couple of years ago and he, he wanted to find out whether or not he should be a pastor and, and so we talked about that and shortly after the conversation began he said well 
really the most important question I have for you is, how much money can a guy make as a pastor? <laughs> I didn't quite expect that question because I had never talked about money to any church at all. And in fact, it wasn't a priority by any means. <clears throat> but but to, to have a, a, be gripped by the call of God is essential. And to, to have a sense of what it is he's calling you to do is also essential. Different pastors may have different slants or views of, of pastoral ministry. But when I sensed that God was calling me, I, I said, God, we have to have, have, to have an agreement here. Because I, I have a visual picture of what a pastor is, and I don't want to be that. And that was just me and right, right. The, the atmosphere around my history. <clears throat> I said, if I can just be me, then uh, yes. And he seemed to give me liberty to say, yeah, well, that's okay. You can just be you. So... The next step was to try to figure out why. What, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? And um, I had to try to define my call. When I see these people that I love so much, what do I want, what do I want for them? And uh, it became clear that Looking righteous was not as important as being righteous. And my call would have to do with helping people in their spiritual journey and, and making sure that the essence of it had to do with what God wanted for them. <laughs> just this past week, I'm reading in Isaiah right now, and, and just this past week, I read another passage that reminded me of the whole 50 years. Uh, Isaiah said, uh, this is what the Lord says. This part is in uh, 58, chapter 58. This is what the Lord says. What do you, and, and this is my interpretation. What do you think I am looking for in a person? And he said, am I looking for someone who fasts? Every day, am I looking for someone who walks with their head down? Am I looking for someone who wants to appear to everybody to be righteous? Is that what I'm looking for in a fast? And then he says, no, that, that's not my goal. My goal is I'm looking for someone who is willing to help others, to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and... and sense the need in another person's life and address that. And to me, he's saying, that's a real fast. That, that's giving up yourself for someone else. And uh, <clears throat> there's a very interesting phrase <clears throat> in this passage when he says, I'm not looking for someone who will 
bow their head or someone who will fast. The reference to that verse, it's in 58, if you'd like to look it up, chapter 58. The reference there to that bowing of the head and, and walking around as though you're looking down, the reference was to the Pharisees who believed that if they convinced everyone that they were not looking at women, if they, if they could convince the world around them that they were holy enough so as not to look at another woman, uh, that that would be their goal. And uh, so they would walk with their heads down, and walking with their heads down, they would inadvertently bump into a pole or a wall and bruise themselves. And uh, if you'd like to look it up and you'd like to Google it, just look up uh, bruised and bleeding Pharisees. Um, the, they would bow their heads and, and bump into things, and, and then it became a, a mark of holiness. They, they thought if the whole world would see the bruises, then the world would believe that they were holy. They, they even had a period of time when they put bags over their heads and would bump into things also to prove that. And their goal was when they got together with their group, their group would look at them and see the bruises on their foreheads and say, that's the holy man here. That, that's the man. So it was looking holy became more important than being holy. And um, my then, then the next few verses indicate that being willing to serve others was the, the goal, not, not the bowing to the head, but the serving of others. So that became part of the call. And, and then to make sure that while serving others, the theme of life is to preach Christ and him crucified. Uh, I mentioned this to Augie this morning. Augie will remember when we were at Nyack, Dr. Harold Freely, Freely said to us in Old Testament survey class, you can find Jesus in every verse of the Bible. In the Old Testament, he is prophesied. In the New Testament, he is proclaimed. And, and so if you're a careful reader of Old or New Testament, doesn't matter what, Christ is there. And he can be preached in Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the Old Testament books yeah. as well as the New Testament. Amen. So th those are the ingredients more important to walk with God than to appear holy to the crowd and more important to present Christ no matter where you are in the scripture than anything else. Sorry, I carried on too long. You, you have all the time in the world. We're not going anywhere. I have a couple more questions for you. Uh, what was your absolute favorite part about pastoring? Retiring. No, that, that's not... <laughs> <laughs> I love 
this is this is from my dad's influence. I love to know what a verse means, what it really means. And so I, I tried to get commentaries from all different perspectives and <clears throat> remain a student of the word and ask the Lord to show me something today that I didn't see before. Uh, favorite was studying what that verse means and then trying to put the words together that would convey it simply to the people. Well, and it's evident. I, I see it when you preach. Your last mm -hmm. sermon, as I was driving through Mississippi, I was listening to you. Build your nest next to the altar. And that resonated with my spirit. Mm. I have one other question for you, and then you can say anything else that you want to say. I, I know in part the challenge of, of keeping a worshipful spirit and a loving spirit and a kind spirit and a humble spirit, all of which you possess. Uh, you're not a Pharisee. I don't see any bruises. Uh, I see a man of humility and full of grace and love. Share with this group that's listening in. As your dad gave you uh, advice, sound advice, what, what would you tell this group that's listening to you today? One thing that would keep their spirit in total submission and surrender to God. I don't, I don't think it's natural to long for devotions, Bible reading, and prayer. But you can come to the place with the help of the Holy Spirit where you actually long for that time of the day when you're going to be in the Word and talking to the Lord in prayer. The more real he becomes to me. So you're still learning? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You are an amazing man. And I know oh, you, no. you, you look at that and say, oh, no, I'm not. But you are, and you're a great example to all of us. Mm. Is there anything else that you would like to say to us? I, I, I don't think so. Uh, we had a, a guest speaker at my home church when I was little. His name was Hugh Young. He had two thumbs on this hand, another thumb that grew off that thumb. And he would say, and I, that's for both of you. <laughs> uh, but he did have a habit. He stopped preaching it. He stopped preaching at noon. And he was very conscious of the clock. In the middle of a sentence, he would sit down. That's all. <laughs> Can we give him a hand? Let me help you out.
Thank, thank you, Pastor. Don't you just love him? Let's just love him. Uh, I'm going to ask our praise team to come, and as, as they do, I, I want to move our minds more toward uh, communion. And in, in particular, after listening, here's, here's a green mic if anybody needs it. Uh, if the Lord has spoken to you, spoken to you in, in any way about walking with him, walking closer to him, being real. Because, Pastor, that's what I heard in my own spirit. Be real. Be you. Uh, I want you to bring that to the Lord. And as we, as we enter into this time of, of communion, remembering what the Lord has done, it's through the, the work of the cross that we have this freedom of worship. There is not a barrier of sin between you and God because Christ has paid the way. He has paid the penalty for our sin. So now you get to have the privilege and the honor of walking into the very presence of Almighty God and have a relationship with Him. And he invites us in. Sometimes as Christians, we take that for granted. But it came at a great price. And I wonder today, in celebration of what Christ has done, and our, our freedom of worship, I wonder if we can celebrate that. And as we partake in communion, be able to say with one voice, thank you, God. And ask him to be preeminent in our lives. I wonder if you would stand with me. Uh, uh, Jose, would you mind helping me on this side? And Matt, would you mind helping me over here, please? Uh, we partake in communion for this very reason. That we don't forget that we don't forget. Uh, I love the statement my father-in-law used to say is that if you see a turtle on a fence post, you know one thing. He didn't get there on his own. If I see a, a person that is forgiven of sins, I can tell you right now, you did not get there on your own. Christ paid for us. I just wonder today, in celebration, if we could just take time to just worship and celebrate him for what he has done. Father.